Here's eight things that you're doing that are screwing up your soul returns. Now, I know that all of us have different approaches to working with soul returns. And so maybe this list isn't the most objective list in the world. But as someone who works with soul returns on a regular basis and who does really concrete predictive astrology, I think I know a thing or two about how soul returns work. Soul returns represent the staple of my own predictive practice, and I want to share with you eight things that you're probably doing with your soul returns that aren't necessarily allowing you to get the most concrete results that you can from your soul return work. Also, make sure that you stick around until the end of the video, where I'll be sharing with you more resources that you can dive into if you want to master soul returns within your natal astrology practice. So thing number one, the very first thing that most people are doing that's a little bit speculative in their soul return work is they're traveling for their soul returns. Now, I'm not actually sure when this became a thing in astrology, but a lot of people travel specifically for their soul returns. And a part of that is because there's this notion that if we travel for our soul returns, we can change our destiny for the coming year. Now, when we look back in the 17th century, this is something that Jean-Baptiste Morin spoke about in his book, Astrologia Gallica, book 23, in which he talks about how a soul return is really only valid for the location of where a person is at the moment of their soul return. Now, a lot of people are kind of divided on this within the astrological community as to whether or not this is actually a thing worth doing. But for me and my house at the Oracular School of Astrology, we look at hundreds of soul return charts every single year, and we found that the natal location of the soul return is the one that matters. So it doesn't matter if you're in Timbuktu, if you were actually born in Japan, your Japan soul return chart is the soul return chart that carries the biggest punch for you in terms of the manifestation of concrete events within your life within that year. Number two, changing zodiacs. Now, I'm pretty okay with other people using other zodiacs that aren't the Western tropical zodiac. And I have friends who are Vedic astrologers, as well as friends who are Western sidereal astrologers, who would rather use those zodiacs within the context of their astrological practice, and who don't use the tropical zodiac at all. I think that this is completely okay within the context of those systems of astrology. But where I think it gets fuzzy is when people are switching back and forth between zodiacs within their work. Now, sometimes people do this because they want to test what their soul return looks like within another zodiac. But once again, as for me and my house, we practice concrete event-based astrology. And usually when you're going to practice a concrete approach to astrology, you really have to make a decision. And the decision that we've made is to practice concrete event-based astrology through the tropical zodiac, because we find that that works for us within our astrological practice all the time. If you use Western sidereal astrology, use the zodiac appropriate for that and only use that. If you use Vedic astrology, use the zodiac appropriate for that and only use that. It really doesn't serve anyone when we mix and match zodiacs. And I mean, probably if you're doing it for research purposes or something, then that can be intriguing. But if you actually have a bustling client practice, you really should choose one of those zodiacs to stick with and use that within all of your astrological practice, because the sooner you get clear about what the different tools within your astrological practice are, the sooner you can start practicing concrete event-based astrology that gives both you and your clients results that you can rely on. So choose a zodiac and stick with that zodiac. The third thing that you're doing that's probably screwing with your ability to really get the most out of your soul return charts is you're probably interpreting them as if they're their own chart. I've met countless astrologers 
who are really great astrologers who say that they can't be bothered with soul return charts because they don't understand how to interpret the soul return chart. But the thing is, there really is no interpreting the soul return chart independently. We interpret the soul chart in juxtaposition with the actual natal chart, which means that you need to have the natal chart present on the screen as well as the soul return chart present on the screen. And you need to be able to create a feedback loop between those two charts in order to get the most out of the soul return chart. A chart that is a subsidiary chart, which means that it's completely dependent on another chart, can never really be expected to stand on its own without referring back to the other chart that it's based on. So we really need to interpret soul return charts not as their own chart, but side by side with the actual natal chart so that we can create that sort of feedback loop between the two of them so that we can really begin to establish the shape of what the concrete events look like that that soul return chart predicts. Because the more we focus on the soul return chart by itself without bringing it back into relationship with the natal chart, the further we get away from actually understanding how that chart is reflecting the natal promise. And every chart within our lives that has a direct bearing on our individual lives must also have a relationship to the natal promise that is held within our natal charts. So read your soul return charts, alongside the natal chart and try to make them speak to each other because that's a surefire way for you to create greater concrete results within your astrological practice. The fourth thing that you're doing that probably isn't giving you the best results within your soul return readings is you're probably interpreting them psychologically. Now, soul returns represent one of the oldest forms of predictive astrology that we have at our disposal. And back in the day, we find that more of the astrology that people practiced was really concrete event-based astrology, and it really wasn't the psychological astrology that we have today. So fundamentally, soul returns are a form of concrete event-based predictive astrology, and that's really where they shine the best. So if you're using a soul return chart to talk about the energies or the themes or the vibrations or the feelings or the emotions for the year ahead, you're probably not getting the most out of your soul return readings because soul returns are emphatically manifest and they really represent the material events that we experience within each and every year of our lives. So if you're not sure about how to interpret a soul return chart concretely, then stick around until the end of this video where I'll be offering you more resources that you can use in order to master soul returns. The fifth thing that you're doing that's probably screwing with your soul returns and not really creating that organic feedback loop that I spoke about previously is you're reading your soul returns on a bi-wheel. Now, what I mean by a bi-wheel is that you have one chart in the center and another chart on the outside of that chart. And so you essentially have two charts represented using the same houses, and the houses are going to be the houses of the inner wheel. For the most part. Now, I recently saw a bi-wheel that has the ability to show the house cusps of the two charts separately. But when it comes to interpreting soul returns, as we look back in the classical texts on soul returns, no one ever used a bi-wheel. And I think a big part of that is because no one was really using circular charts to begin with, but also because when it comes to soul returns, that separate chart is something that we want to be able to refer to because the house cusps within that separate chart are going to be important factors. 
So within a sole return chart, if we're looking to talk about your monetary promise within a given year, the second house cusp within that sole return chart is going to be a very important player within your monetary destiny for that year. Therefore, you want to be able to see the house cusps as their own individual entities because you also want to be able to interpret those house cusps based on the ruler of those houses as well as where the ruler of those houses houses fall within the natal chart, the aspects they're receiving from the natal chart, as well as the aspects the rulers of the soul return house cusps are receiving within the soul return chart itself. Therefore, we don't really want to do something that flattens our ability to see the house cusps of the soul return chart, even though we know that we're going to really be bringing that chart into a harmonious relationship with the natal chart. The natal chart will always be the most important basis but at the end of the day, the solar return chart is a symbolic chart by itself. And as such, it should be interpreted as a chart juxtaposed against the natal chart, not just as a bunch of planetary positions that we interpret alongside the natal chart. So, yes, marry the natal chart to the solar return chart, but let them be two separate charts on your screen that you're looking at and give yourself the mental exercise of going back and forth between those two charts to make them make sense together. Now, the sixth thing that you're doing within your soul return readings, that's probably screwing with your ability to get the most out of your soul return charts is you're probably relocating them to your current place of residence. Now, this is a little bit different from traveling someplace for your soul return because I just don't know why anybody would do that. But when we relocate our soul returns to our current place of residence, it's because it seems to make some amount of sense that if you live somewhere and if you've lived in that place for quite a good length of time, then you're probably going to want to pull up the soul return chart for yourself in that location because you have more of a relationship to that location than if you were to just travel someplace for your birthday. Now, I practice astrocartography, so I completely understand the impulse to move to another part of the world where a particular planet or a particular stellar influence within your chart is emphasized. But the soul return chart, as far as I'm concerned, and really as far as a lot of traditional astrology is concerned, is a chart that really carries the imprint of our natal promise. And the place that you were born is a part of that imprint of your natal promise. And no matter how far in the world we might move to, we'll only ever find our natal promise. And so the soul return chart really should always be casted for your natal location because your natal location is as indelibly imprinted upon the entire cosmic structure pattern of your life as is the natal destiny within your birth chart itself. So even though you may have lived somewhere else other than the place that you've been born for the last 30 years of your life, the soul return chart casted for your location is always going to give you an accurate blueprint of the concrete events that will occur within your life no matter where in the world you find yourself planted. So always use your birth location for every soul return chart you cast. Number seven on the list of things that you're doing that are probably screwing with your ability to get the most out of your soul returns is you're probably overemphasizing the location of the solar return sun. Now, this is something that happens in modern natal astrology to begin with because everybody wants to talk about their sun location. 
which isn't really something that we find happening very frequently within traditional astrology. Traditional astrology isn't a sun, moon, and rising sort of practice. Traditional astrology is a very ascendant, heavy practice because the ascendant represents the soul and the psyche of the native within any lifetime. So the sun, for the most part in traditional astrology, is only as important as it is the ruler of a house within a chart. And granted, we also know that the sun and the location of the sun lets us know whether or not the chart is a daytime chart or a nighttime chart. So there are some considerations that we place on the sun that tends to elevate it in importance. But at the end of the day, when we're interpreting a chart through a traditional perspective, we are really focusing on the planets as rulers of houses and not the planets having some overarching supreme role in general. So very often when we look at the sun within traditional astrology, we're specifically looking at the sun based on the house that it rules, more importantly than the sun just being the sun itself and therefore demanding our greatest attention. For me, personally, I've never given a reading to anyone in which I've taken a look at their big three of sun, moon, and rising, because that's really just not how Renaissance astrology is built. And it's really not how medieval astrology is built. So when it comes to giving someone a soul return reading, I also don't overly emphasize the location of the sun within that chart. Now, even though we find that being a consideration within certain circles of traditional astrology, it's probably one consideration amongst 30 other considerations that are also vitally important. So there is a rubric for interpreting soul return charts in a concrete event-based way. And if you stick around until the end of this video, I'll point you towards some resources that you can use in order to master concrete event-based soul returns. But really overemphasizing the location of the sun isn't really part of that rubric. There are other things that are far more important within the soul return reading than the location of the sun itself. And you'll get far more buying for your buck if you focus on those other things and let the sun naturally come in where the sun will naturally come in within the context of that reading without forcing it into a place of importance just because it's a soul return chart. The eighth and final thing that you're probably doing within your soul return readings that's screwing with your ability to get the most out of that soul return reading is you're probably only focusing on the angular planets within the soul return chart because somewhere along the line you heard from someone that in soul returns the angular planets are going to be the most important things. Now in general angular planets in traditional astrology have the most visibility necessary in order to really show their stuff. So we're talking about planets in the first house, the fourth house, the seventh house, and the tenth house. And in terms of the strength of those houses, we're talking about planets in the first house, the tenth house, the seventh house, and the fourth house, because in traditional astrology, we tend to view the strength of the angles in that way. And there is a little bit of contention as to whether or not the first house is stronger than the tenth house or the tenth house is stronger than the first house. But at the end of the day, if there was no first house giving you your soul, your psyche, and your physical body to move through the world, there'd be no 10th house to give you the prestige and the honor that you receive for having been born. I generally, as far as the strength of the houses are concerned, tend to focus on the first house more than the 10th. Getting back to the point, 
there's this notion within a lot of solar return work, especially modern solar return work, that only the angular planets in solar returns are important to consider. And I just emphatically disagree. And the reason why I disagree is because it doesn't matter whether or not planets are angular in the solar return chart. What really matters is what houses do all of the planets within that solar return chart rule, and whether or not the rulers of the various houses within that solar return chart are being highlighted within that given year because those planets are going to be planets of great importance. And those planets could be cadent but having aspects to the solar return ascendant. And those planets can also be cadent and having aspects to the solar return ruler of the ascendant. Those planets can be cadent and making an exact opposition to the ruler of the solar return second house. Or those planets can be cadent and having a square aspect to the ruler of the solar return third house, in which case that might be interpreted as it being a very challenging year for your sibling. At the end of the day, when interpreting solar return charts, we really want to practice and apply a more nuanced approach than just looking at the angular planets. Because there are years when there will be no angular planets. And what do you do then? Now, I'm not denying that having planets that are angular within the solar return year don't elevate the themes of those planets within the overall solar return year. As a matter of fact, I'm very famous for saying that if you have an angular Venus within a solar return year, then that indicates you having a major love event within that year. And that's something that I continue to believe is true because very often when people have a major love event within their lives, very often those people have an angular Venus or some major aspect of Venus to the ascendant within that solar return year, whether it's their solar return ascendant being an aspect to their natal Venus or whether it's the solar return Venus being an aspect to the solar return ascendant, whenever there is an angular Venus within a solar return chart within a given year within the life of a person, more often than not, it can indicate a major love event. So there is power within angular planets, especially because the things that the angles represent within our lives are things that everybody wants to know about in general. Everybody wants to know about their physical bodies, their home, their relationship, as well as their career, for the most part. So those angular planets are going to be important from that perspective. However, when interpreting solar return charts, we really want to make sure that we have a clean, systematic, and logical approach that we can apply to interpreting those solar return charts over and over again that can be replicated not just by ourselves, but by other people. And very often when we approach astrology from this perspective of looking for the quick and easy thing like the angular planet, we often shoot ourselves in the foot because we aren't giving ourselves enough latitude to explore the charts in question from a more holistic perspective that gives us a more systematic understanding of the various relationships and interrelationships that are occurring, not just within the soul return chart itself, but also also within the soul return chart and the feedback loop it naturally has with the natal chart. Now, I've compiled an entire online mini course on soul return mastery that's completely been changing the landscape of people's soul return work within their professional astrological practice. And the feedback that I've been getting is that it's completely revolutionized their practice because it's given them a clear, systematic, 
concrete approach to interpreting soul return charts in a more organized way that gives them more details from those charts and that also allows their clients to feel as if they've had a more valuable astrological experience because they leave the session with a more systematic list of concrete events that they can look forward to within that coming year of their lives. So if you want to dive deep into all the things you need to know in order to really master solar returns, then by all means, click on the link in the description box so that you can give clearer, more accurate solar return readings, both to yourself as well as to the clients you serve.